in a few days, I'll be traveling to Thailand to Wat Nong Ba Pong for the annual meeting. That's been a regular part of the calendar since Lumpur Cha's since he was alive meeting on the day that would have been his birthday 17th of June actually the monks meet on the 16th of June the tradition being to come together the day before the birthday and this year it's the hundredth year since Lumpur Cha was born. Many people have commented on how inspiring they find it that Lumpur Cha's students, monks, nuns, laymen, laywomen, still meet together regularly in harmony. They still have a common faith in Lumpur Cha and his teachings and the way of practice that he left us. And now his students have traveled all around Thailand and indeed all around the globe now. So when they meet there's people with a whole variety of experiences practicing Dhamma Vinaya in different parts of Thailand and in these different parts of the globe. So there's a wealth of experience, some shared, and then each senior monk has their own individual story to tell, you might say, if they're particular part of the Buddhist world that they practice and some of the insights they've gained in their own practice and then in teaching others. And it's a very rare thing that you can see so many senior monks, hundreds of them, meeting together, sitting down quietly, peacefully, discussing issues of Dhamma Vinaya. There's usually an agenda and there's been formal and informal discussions prior to the, the main meeting to set the, the agenda and discuss ahead and if there's any important business to be discussed. may have been already uh, brought up in previous weeks to the meeting. So although it may be an imperfect situation as well for communication, hundreds of pe people sitting to get together, only a few may speak perhaps, but there is actually a process that issues in individual monasteries or that affect the wider Sangha can be brought up discussed and brought to the attention of the wider community. 
the agenda is not just set by one or two senior monks. There is actually a process where issues can be brought forward, questions raised, uh, opinions viewed, uh, voiced, and so on. These hundreds of senior monks that meet, they represent hundreds of other monks who don't travel to the meeting. It's always a reminder of how far uh, the, the greater Sangha of Lumpur Cha has, has gone and how big it is. Sometimes for newer members of the community, there may be the doubt, what's the point of having a large meeting, all sitting together for many hours? All I can see you, you'd get out of it is painful knees, because most of the monks don't get much in the way of cushions or um, comfortable seating arrangements. Probably the majority are sitting on their sitting cloth on a granite floor. The doubt may come up. If you step back and look at this bigger picture, there's something beautiful about it, that human beings in large numbers can meet together with a restrained countenance and discussing topics of Dhamma Vinaya, however eloquently or awkwardly the communication takes place. Not everybody has the same barami and accumulated skills in communication, so some people speak well, some not so well. But the overall picture is one of harmony and tolerance and patience. This is part of the flavor of Lumpur Cha's teaching. Monks learn to meet together regularly, mainly for meditation and chanting, but also for listening to the Dhamma, and discussion of the Vinaya and so on. And a lot of our life we're learning to sit, wait, put effort into maybe meditating before a meal or during a talk or during a meeting. And this is part of our life and it becomes a skill. Somebody might say, everybody's sitting there doing nothing, but anyone who practices knows that it takes a lot of effort to sit quietly through a meeting, mindfully, listening to information, reflecting on it, and practicing mindfulness with painful feelings in the legs, feelings of tiredness, heat, cold, and so on. <coughs> it's not doing nothing. It all can become part of the practice. This is how Lumpur Cha taught. It's particularly useful that there are still many senior monks who lived with Lumpur Cha for many years around who can remind us of their first-hand experiences, pass on 
things that they seem important, see as important or help uh, the wider community to reflect using some of the guidelines that they gained from Lumpocha. And you see that they, they've learnt how to rise above some of their own preferences or feelings of pain or tiredness. You know, they have learned to sit mindfully for many hours and done that many times through their life. So it's a skill they have and that can be passed on to the newer generations. We learn these skills as part of our daily life, practicing as bhikkhus. Previously, as lay people, we may have we learned to meditate, attend meditation retreats, and so on. But the practice of a bhikkhu goes far and beyond that, just a retreat. It's a lifestyle that we commit to. And we learn how to practice in many different situations. In every situation, has to become part of the practice. This is how Lumpur Cha taught. Everything is teaching us, everything is part of the practice. And it's not that your mind will necessarily be completely mindful, peaceful, that insight will be clear at every moment. And the whole point is that we're practicing to bring up mindfulness, to bring up clarity and insight. But the way of practice encourages that. So even a meeting that may on the surface seem a little boring or time-consuming, if you approach it with the attitude of making it as a practice, then it can still be useful for you personally, and you can also contribute by your participation to the benefit of others. Even if you don't say any words, you may have something to say, but if you have nothing to say, the one simple presence can also be of benefit to others. And a point that Lumpur Cha made often throughout his life teaching monks was that you practice is about training ourselves and it's not that you will always get what you want and always get situations and experiences that are even pleasant or to your liking. Part of the training is learning how to deal with the unpleasant side of life because we can't avoid it. It always comes back to our heart, our mind. How are we dealing with the different situations that come up? It's because we can't expect to always get what we want in terms of personal comfort, follow every desire. But we can learn how to understand desire as the cause of suffering and treat it skillfully applying the path of practice, bringing up mindfulness, refraining from following our negative desires, negative emotions, the kilesas, 
and developing the path. We can do that at any time we have the opportunity to practice. Sometimes in a meeting when you discuss wider issues in society, in Buddhism in general, the practice of monks in different monasteries, um, sometimes it can seem that it's more focusing on what's going wrong. And that's true, it's a part of our life is to be heedful uh, with ourselves and then with the Sangha. So, because we have shared values, standards, even ideals, and we have to keep watch uh, on others as well as ourselves. And sometimes issues come up that need to be addressed and discussed, and it's not always pleasant if somebody's made a mistake or some wrong practice has uh, come about and taken place. But then the fact that everyone is meeting in harmony is the good side, that they can meet together and discuss what's gone wrong. And this must be a good thing. And you have to keep that perspective and see the value of, of the experience as a whole. One monk once said a few years ago, we, when we talk in these meetings, often we're talking about a monastery. Maybe there's an abbot or a senior monk who needs advice or has gone wrong. And it's easy just to look at things in a black and white way and say, oh, that, that monastery's not practicing correctly or that monk is not practicing correctly. Some people even make the sort of concerned remarks or, or standards are slipping, everything's falling apart. But it's like any other aspect of life. When you focus on one or two things that are wrong or at fault, it doesn't mean to say the whole system or the whole thing is collapsing. In order to address faults, they have to be discussed. And the fact that they can be discussed and looked at can be a cause for the whole group to benefit. It's a reminder of what we should be doing and what is correct practice. And it's pointing back to each one of us that we all have to be vigilant in our own practice. We talk about, say, a senior monk or an abbot in a monastery, but really we're all the senior monk or the abbot of our own hearts our own minds, which is the place of practice. And we do learn by looking at others, looking at others and seeing what they do well, and getting good examples and following. 
maybe looking at others, seeing what went wrong, what was mistaken in their practice and learning from that. But in the end, the purpose of it is to come back to ourselves and we have to be responsible for our own practice as individuals. So in that way, you look at it, we're all the abbot of our own heart, our own mind. We have to be responsible for our own speech and actions and thoughts. And this is the law of karma, which is always, always there always applies whether we realize it or not. Everything we do and say has consequences, good and bad, depending on the intention. And it all begins with our mind, what we think, how well we use our mind, how well we're training our mind. Jitang dang tang sukawa hang, a well-trained mind brings happiness. In the end, our happiness and suffering comes down to how well we look after our mind, how well we practice heedfulness and pay attention to our thoughts, our speech, our action. So as we meet together as a group, there are certain responsibilities we have to the group and duties towards the group and then we have shared values and standards of behavior we have the Vinaya and the ways of practice but then also ultimately we have responsibility to ourselves as an individual practitioner we have to be firm in our commitment to train this mind because as we practice there will be times when we have to go against our habits, our desires because we know they do cause suffering and the more we reflect on the Four Noble Truths and keep practicing the more we become aware how following desire leads to attachment and clinging leads to suffering we have to learn how to recognize that that process more and more in our practice and develop the skills to and the wisdom and the insight to not always follow desire but at least have the choice by bringing up mindful awareness over and over again and this is where a lot of the suffering comes in the practice Sajjan Chah said it's the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. There's some things we do that create suffering and it's not for the end of suffering, just creating more and more suffering. Other things we do which are enjoyable and bring immediate happiness, but the suffering comes later. Other things we do seem to bring some suffering in the present, but it's for later on that we'll be free and liberated from the causes of suffering. So it's for ultimately for happiness. The more we practice, the more we get to see that process, how sometimes working with a, a mind that is not peaceful, not settled, is valuable. It's worth doing because we gain understanding, at the very least, 
the challenge of bringing up mindfulness when your mind is not peaceful. It's a very valuable <clears throat> task. It's probably the minority of occasions that you turn to reflect on yourself, whether you're sitting, walking meditation, or doing some other activity, and find that your mind is quite naturally peaceful and mindful. Most of the time we're dealing with desire and its effects in a mind that keeps wanting to move off from its object of meditation or from the present moment, following a, a line of desire, wanting something that you haven't got, or wanting to get rid of something you have got. You know, this experience is so common that we, you know, often we feel numbed by it because we've been struggling maybe so far in our practice and it feels like it's just never ending. But the way insight arises, it's, it's subtle and it kind of grows and matures over time. This is maybe one of the values of having Sangha, of more experienced practitioners, so they can remind you of that fact, point it out that if you keep applying the practice, the training to your, to your mind, things do get better. If you keep keeping, you keep upholding the Vinaya, you keep developing mindfulness in your meditation, you keep reflecting on the Dhamma, things get better. But at first you have to take that on trust, and take that on faith. So meeting, when Sangha meets together in a large group, it can be a useful cause for faith to arise. And you see many other bhikkhus who have practiced well over the years. And the results, is the sense of peace, the aura of peace and brightness they have, the goodwill they have, and the general sense of well-being can give you some confidence that if they can do it, well, then I can do it. This is one of the values of Sangha. But then you have to go back and look at what are the causes for that, what gives rise to this increasing sense of happiness, or well-being, goodwill, compassion, mindfulness and wisdom. Well, it's that effort in the practice and to deal with a mind that is not always easily tamed it does like to follow its desires and become very easily caught up in desire, attachment and suffering. As I said, we, when we meet together we often sit for many hours, even before the formal meeting you can sit around for hours listening to other monks talk, just that can seem quite challenging, it's tiring, especially if you don't know the language very much, which is possibly why many of the junior monks don't attend. But once you understand the language, there's still just the physical tiredness or aches and pains, thirst, hunger, heat and so on. All of this you can take as a basis for practicing mindfulness and reflecting any, say, reaction you have. You might have a feeling of aversion to such an event. 
that's where you practice. Or you might feel tired and your mind is not able to concentrate very well. And that's where you practice. Bringing up mindfulness through the midst of the hindrances and the different experiences you have in these situations is where you practice. When you follow desire, you, your mind probably says, oh, I should be somewhere else doing my practice, <laughs> sitting or walking or off on Tudong or something or else, something else that we feel is important. But the place of practice is always right here and now, whatever you're involved with, whether it is a meeting or traveling, eating, washing your robes, working, doing chores, or formal meditation. You know, the place of practice is right here and now, and bringing up enough mindfulness to observe and learn from your mind in the present moment. <clears throat> we do have ideals. We aim for Nibbāna, we aim for peace, we aim for wisdom, but they're only ideals and we have to be mindful of that, recognize an ideal for what it is. It's just an ideal, a guiding ideal. The reality is where we have to practice, you know, the way the mind is right now. And a lot of that practice is simply arousing the effort, the energy to bring up mindfulness, bring the mind back to the present moment, uh, restrain it, let go of certain desires because you see over and over again that's the cause of suffering. If we never understand this point then we're never really going to realize the Four Noble Truths. We're never really going to tire of desire and its consequences. And the reason monks become enlightened or anyone becomes enlightened is because they they tire of suffering the suffering that comes through desire and attachment they become disenchanted with it desire no longer intoxicates them because they know it leads to pain to suffering but to get to that point you have to really study it and learn from it and that means sometimes you have to face up to the mental agitation and the different types of mental suffering that desire brings, because you have to study there first. It's almost like that's your clue. When suffering arises, that's where you have to practice. Why do I feel uncomfortable? Why is my mind agitated? Why am I angry? Why am I worried, anxious? That's where you have to look and learn from and find a way to bring up a higher level of mindfulness using meditation objects, using patience, using effort, you know, all the different factors of the path come together. And the Buddha's message is that we can transcend suffering if we develop the path correctly. As you practice meditation, notice how your mind, when you, say you take your mind off the ball, you lose your concentration, how quickly it falls into a hindrance, negativity, dullness, sleepiness, <clears throat> or desiring something, fantasizing about a sense object. These are the challenges of the practice. 
to learn how to keep bringing the mind back to the object, to the present moment, seeing the desire, but seeing it as a cause of suffering, till it becomes just intuitive to know that this is what has to be dropped. Dropped because of mindfulness and wisdom functioning, not, not through suppression or forcing the mind, but truly knowing desire as the cause of suffering. Truly seeing kilesa as kilesa, recognizing that, just in the same way as we we, we learn how fire causes pain if you grab anything that's hot or put your hand in a fire. It's painful. You learn that lesson so quickly and it stays for your whole life. It's the same with the mind, the mind of desire. You're learning to not grab it. It may arise through the power of our past calming, karmic conditioning, but when it arises, we treat it with mindfulness and wisdom. And say, this is what, I, what is the cause of suffering. This is what must be let go of. To have enough insight to do that. To the point where it's just normal for you to let go because you know it's the cause of suffering. To know, to see through the delusion of the mind that tends to have its reasons and excuses why we should follow desire to see through that and um, this is not there's no no good that will come of following this desire it only leads to more clinging more pain more problems so it's it's like the, the fire it just becomes automatic for the mind to know that's the way of pain That's on every level, on the level of actions, speech, and then ultimately through the mind itself. This is why as we keep the um, Vinaya, we've been studying the Vinaya, the practice of Hiriyotapa, sense of shame, and a, a fear and an awareness of the consequences of our unskillful actions, is uh, such a vital quality that grows through the practice because if you don't develop the sense of shame and the understanding of karma and its consequences then once you get into bad habits it's very difficult to restrain the mind it's important to see it every rule is important every training rule every way of practice is an important way to train us, however much effort it might take to keep. It's valuable to us because it's helping restrain our negative desires, our kilesa, from coming out in our speech, our actions. The obvious ones are if you're angry, you give in to your anger and you tell someone off or tell them what you think of them once. Yes going to be very easy to do it a second time because you've done it once it's like a little hole has appeared in your your practice of the Vinaya and so then your mind can flow out through that through its speech and actions again so learning to develop that respect for the Sila and the Vinaya and see the value how it's training us to manage our desires and keep them in check 
then it's much more manageable to deal with desire on the inside. You know, on the outside, if our, our sila is normal, is good, our behavior with others, our behavior with ourselves, you know, whether you're with others or you're on your own, doesn't change. And we're not breaking the rules or we're not doing things that cause suffering for ourselves or others through our speech and actions. Then to keep working with the mind is possible. Mental agitation is going to be more based on just lack of mindfulness and our particular attachments, but not coming through regret or feelings of guilt from breaking the rules. And after a while it becomes, again, automatic just to keep the rules, not to harm others, not to go the way of greed or selfishness. And we make a lot of barami here. You know, the world needs people who keep sila. It's in short supply in the world. Most people, even if they see it as a good thing, they find it hard to, to keep, hard to practice it. For us, it's, it's the heart of our lifestyle. We can keep sila very well. We can dedicate ourselves to it. We can even dedicate our lives to it. So it becomes something that is very much a part of who we are. Then it has a real power. It brings a sense of well-being because we're keeping our sealer. And it helps to highlight the more refined desires and attachments which arise internally, which cause us suffering. Gives you a strength of mind. You know, it's, a, it's a strength, a confidence based on just knowing how to behave, say, as a bhikkhu, knowing the rules, how to keep them, and be comfortable doing that, and just to be normal doing that. Whatever anyone else says, because obviously other people in the world won't always appreciate why we do what we do. This is another reason when you meet a large, in a large gathering of bhikkhus who all keep the Vinaya together, the same, have the same level, same standard. And there's a great sense of well-being and there's something tangible in the air, just the aura, the, the brightness of bhikkhus who keep the sila together. Like the uh, stories from the time of the Buddha when maybe one bhikkhu didn't keep the sila, and the Buddha sensed that in a meeting of the Sangha, there's one monk maybe who hadn't kept the rules. Just something not quite right. Whereas when monks do keep the rules together, there's a sense of it's quite right, it's, it's good. You sense that. And that sense of goodness or just rightness, and that comes into your heart. And when you're training, to deal with the hindrances, you feel you've got some strength, some mental strength, men mental qualities to go against desire. Even if you're feeling it's suffering, you know, to, to not follow a desire that you would rather, previously would rather have followed. The sense of well-being from your sila helps you just to be strong enough not to give in 
if you've trained yourself before in other ways, you can train yourself with this one, whatever it may be. And just as it gets easier to do unskillful things, if we're not putting effort into the training, we don't keep the rules, we're not mindful, it gets easier to do skillful things when we do put effort into the practice. If you keep the precepts regularly, the Vinaya regularly, it gets easier. If you practice meditation and put effort into becoming mindful of an object regularly, it gets easier. If you learn to reflect on Dhamma, see your mental experience in light of the Four Noble Truths, it gets easier, it becomes more normal for you. You understand more clearly what does lead to suffering and what leads to the end of suffering. This is the work or the activity of a Buddhist monk, is to end suffering in one, one mind at least and then share that knowledge and encourage it in others. You might say it's, it's something we have to really learn to love and enjoy, the letting go of desire and attachment, because it's seen as the cause of suffering. Then we actually take joy in letting go. In the beginning we don't yet see that, so in the beginning it seems like hard work. You might seem depressing if we've been used to following all kinds of desires and now we we don't. Maybe we blame someone else and say, well, they're telling us not to do this, not to do that, and see it in a very kind of personal way. Really, you have to learn to find it our own enjoyment, sense of enjoyment in letting go of desire because it's the cause of suffering. And what does it do to the mind? It agitates the mind, intoxicates the mind, takes away our clarity, takes away our intelligence and our understanding. As you practice, you learn that, so then you're more, if you enjoy giving up desire because it's the cause of suffering, well, you become more willing to do it. And so you get a wholesome pride from this practice. It's not the the pride of, of arrogance of just being better than others or knowing more than other people or having more than others. It's wholesome pride because you know you're doing what is correct and right. And this can also be something as a service, something you can do for others as well. But in the beginning it's a service for yourself. When you see yourself doing practicing in the right way, it gives a certain sense of pride or confidence. At least you know you can do it. You may not win every little battle with desire, but when you win some, you know you can do it. This is why Lumpo Cha encouraged us to practice in this way, to have meetings where you sit meditation for a period and sometimes that's longer than you would rather sit, you'd rather not meditate, you'd rather do something else. That's why we practice restraint in the use of requisites. You know, we, we eat one meal a day, we meditate before, we eat silently, mindfully. And perhaps it would be nice just to be trying lots of food and socializing and talking. Like most people in the world, that's how they eat. 
if you appreciate what the process of training the mind, you see these things are helping. It's not always easy, and it can lead to, you can experience reactions of aversion and displeasure and discomfort. But if you can see that this is for the end of suffering, it's, it's worth going through. You don't even need to inflict any particular suffering on yourself. It comes your way anyway. It's just the nature of having a body and a mind. You, know, it's, you don't have to look far for suffering to come. It will happen. The important thing is developing the attitude of learning from it. Looking for the cause of the suffering, yeah, the clinging, the craving, the clinging, and the mental agitation that causes. And these are very subtle skills as well, skills that perhaps most lay people never really understand. There are some well-practiced lay people around, but the majority of the world will probably won't ever understand this. There's not something that you can easily pass on in words to others. And often the practice is beyond words. You know, letting go of desire is not always something you sit down and reason through or analyze. It could be something you just see, you just know this will lead to pain or suffering. It should be let go of, it's just something you know. So it's not always obvious to the people around us, family, friends, others. What we're doing is quite internal. But if you practice for a while, you might gain your confidence. You see, this is something that is good. It's good for human beings, it's good for myself, and it will be good for others. And then even though other people don't fully understand what you're doing, it doesn't matter, because you understand what you're doing, and you know it's good for you. We've all achieved a certain amount of happiness and success in our practice, otherwise we wouldn't be here. It's not easy to live in a monastery or in a monastic environment to train with the Dhamma Vinaya. But we haven't completed the practice yet. There's still more to do, but we can base our practice on what we've done so far. You can see you have let go of some things. You have understood the Four Noble Truths to some extent. If you keep practicing, you don't give up, well, you'll get more of that understanding, it will deeper. And you might be able to develop more refined states of consciousness and develop samadhi and develop deeper insight. And you can see by extension that's possible based on what you've done so far. Tonight is the Uposita. We can uh, dedicate our night to practice, sitting, walking. Later on we'll listen to the Patimoka chanting. So for now we can uh, 
do some more meditation dedicated to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. <laughs>